Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Many of America's symbols are controversial for one reason or another, but the national anthem strikes a chord, so to speak, like no other. From complaints that it is virtually unsingable by the average person, to athletes taking a knee when it is played, the Star-Spangled Banner has evoked a range of emotions and in some cases, no emotion at all. America's national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner in U.S. History, Culture, and Law, is a new encyclopedia by Dr. John Vile, Dean of the University Honors College and a political scientist. We'll visit the land of the free and the home of the brave after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. A dedicated group of MTSU students has been named this year's winner of Selective Insurance's College Competition. The annual national contest allows future generations of insurance professionals to run virtual insurance agencies and experience many associated responsibilities and considerations. The MTSU team had the highest performing agency among the eight college teams competing in the month-long competition, making complex business decisions while overcoming sales hurdles and managing their financial solvency. The five-member MTSU team was comprised of juniors and seniors with majors in risk management and insurance, actuarial science, and other business-related areas primarily within the Jennings A. Jones College of Business. Michael Stansbury, managing partner of Elite Insurance Solutions of Franklin, Tennessee, served as the team's mentor and helped them leverage their education and experiences to make informed business decisions about building market share, developing products and services, growing profit, promoting their firm, and contending with competitors. Other participating schools included Appalachian State University, Ball State, Illinois State, Indiana State, St. Joseph's, Temple, and University of North Carolina, Charlotte. And a new exhibit in MTSU's Baldwin Photographic Gallery, An Eye Towards Justice, captures the work of documentarian Maury Cammie through excerpts of two of his thought-provoking photo collections, The Prison Experience and Faces and Facets, The Jews of Greece. An Eye Towards Justice is on display weekdays from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. through Thursday, April 15th, in room 269 of the university's Bragg Media and Entertainment Building at 1735 Blue Raider Drive. Gallery guests must wear masks and observe appropriate distancing and other posted health safety protocols. Cammy and his work are also the subject of an online conversation with a multidisciplinary group of MTSU faculty experts planned for Tuesday, March 30th at 6 p.m. Central. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Hey, John. Let's start with its origins. Every school child has heard about how Francis Scott Key wrote the words during the War of 1812 at Fort McHenry, but most people don't know that the music was an old British drinking song. How did the two of them come together? You're, you're basically right, but sometimes when people say it was an old drinking song, we tend to think of something in a, you know, in a tavern with a bunch of drunk people, sort of raucous, you know, everybody out of tune. It was actually written for something known as the anachronic, and I may be mispronouncing it, society, but it was a, it was a very high-class British gathering of men who would uh, listen to music and then feast, and probably a lot of toast and whatever, and 
I'm not sure actually that the majority of men would have sung it. My impression is that it probably would have been performed, you know, by some of the leading uh, vocalists of the day. But the tune had been used, actually Francis Scott Key had used the tune in, uh, for an earlier poem that he wrote to uh, people in the Barbary, uh, the Barbary War uh, in, in North Africa. And so the tune, the tune was well known, even though, as you pointed out earlier, it is among national anthems, I think, one of the more difficult ones to sing. Did he write all four verses immediately on the spot? I, I'm not sure that he wrote them. He began writing apparently aboard, the, you know, he was aboard a ship that he had been negotiating for the release of an American doctor because during this time they got wind of what the British were doing their ship was not permitted to leave. And so he apparently jotted down notes, maybe actual verses there, and then he went to his, he went to his inn there, a lodging place, uh, and wrote out the words within a day or so. Now, my father, uh, who was a school teacher as well as a coach, used to say he would remember a time during World War II and for some time thereafter when there was a... Uh, fracas a fight on the football field or on the basketball court and the refs couldn't get it under control over the PA system somebody would play the national anthem just to get everybody to stop fighting be respectful stand still and you know calm down it's a way of saying we were all in this together uh today I don't think you could end a fight <laughs> on a bet by doing that how did the zeitgeist change so radically from one mentality to to another i think the majority well particularly of white americans and you know we can qualify that a little bit probably student and, and i would think probably the majority of black as well you know still have reverence for the song because it is the american anthem now the question is you know is it appropriate to take a knee or otherwise you know, use this as an expression of, of, of political views. And there are different ways of viewing that. The, the, the most positive, I suppose, is the story of Moses coming down from uh, Mount Sinai and seeing the people uh, engaged in worship of a golden idol. And if you remember, what's it, what does he do? He takes the sacred tablets and he throws them down. Like, you people are not worthy of this. And clearly, Moses wasn't trying to denigrate the Ten Commandments. He was expressing sorrow, you know, concern that people hadn't lived up to it. So, you know, I, I think the, the fact that a lot of people have, have begun, particularly athletes, have begun to express concerns over Black Lives Matter and, and, and other things, you know, certainly they have a constitutional right to do so. But you're right, it, it's, it's become more partisan. And in part, there, there is a verse in the in the national anthem, which is hard, you know, we, we must never play the other three verses, but there is a verse which seems adverse to the slaves. We do need to remember that the slaves that he's adverse to are slaves that have been recruited by the British to fight against the American cause. So that puts it in a little bit of context, but, you know, and we've had similar controversies over the flag. You know, most of us view it as a, you know, symbol of the nation, but it also can become an occasion for expressing disagreement uh, with American policies. Well, you talked about the Golden Idol, and uh, I think the point I was making is that it, it does not immediately or instantaneously 
inspire the kind of reverence that perhaps it did for prior generations. It's not an instantaneous feeling of reverence. You may for the be right, and, and you know, one of the interesting things that I, that I tried to emphasize in the book is the song has always been, you know, there have always been rival songs. Uh, Columbia uh, was a prominent, you know, 19th century song. The battle, you know, we have a battle hymn of the Republic in addition to the national anthem. Uh, America the Beautiful, uh, My Country Tis of Thee, God Bless America, you know, and that, in some ways, I think that that song might be more inclined today to lead to, re you know, more reverent feeling maybe than the Star Spangled Banner, I'm not sure. Why haven't uh, some of the songs you named, uh, which all have been mentioned at one time or another as possible replacements for the Star Spangled Banner as the national anthem. Why haven't any of those songs gained traction? Um, it, it seems that the Star Spangled Banner is pretty well ensconced as our national anthem and is probably not going to be replaced by any of those. That's probably true. You, you know, the, the anthem, of course, as you mentioned, was written in 1814. It wasn't officially declared the national anthem till 1931. Uh, some of the songs that we might think about, and God Bless America would certainly be one of them, I believe was actually written after that time. Others like Columbia, you know, that's a term that's rarely used for the United States and actually has its own negative connotations now that, you know, what was, you know, this explore, what we considered in our youth as a, you know, great explorer is now maybe exploiter, you know, someone who brought misery to, to Native Americans. Um, you sort of have to take it song by song. And again, there are certainly a lot of songs that are easier to sing. The thing that is most to its credit is it emerges from a very distinct and consequential moment in American history. You, you know, say My Country Tis of Thee, by, by contrast, has the same tune as God Save the Queen, if I remember correctly. And, and so this one, even though the tune is foreign, the, the event is so peculiarly American. And, you know, we sort of forget, is, somebody said if, you know, if we had not won the Battle of, of Baltimore, we might be singing God Bless the Queen instead of the Star Spangled Banner. So it was a very consequential moment, you know, within American history. We'll take a break here and we'll be back. This is MTSU on the record. NTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. 
The book is America's National Anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner in U.S. History, Culture, and Law, a new encyclopedia about the National Anthem by Dr. John Vial, Dean of the University Honors College. This entry I found particularly interesting. E.A. Attlee, he wrote uh, alternative lyrics, shall we say, to The Star-Spangled Banner, pointing out in each of the four verses that America has not fulfilled its promise with regard to the slaves. It was published by um, William Lloyd Garrison, the abolitionist, and it was in 1844 that it was published. The first verse, just to give our audience an indication, oh say do you hear at the dawn's early light the shrieks of those bondmen whose blood is now streaming from the merciless lash while our banner in sight with its stars mocking freedom is fitfully gleaming. Do you see the back bear? Do you mark every score of the whip of the driver trace channels of gore? And say doth our star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. And it continues in that very, very sardonic tone throughout the, uh, the other three verses. Uh, talk about that and how that came to be. There's a double meaning, as I understand it, to parody. It can mean simply a rewriting, and it can also mean sort of making fun of something. But the Star Spangled Banner is itself a parody in the sense that it is a copy of a previous song. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, people with causes, whether it's anti-slavery or suffragists, or, or others have often, you know, used the words of the song. Interestingly, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., uh, the physician, author, father of U.S. later U.S. Supreme Court justice, actually wrote a fairly popular fifth verse uh, to the Star Spangled Banner, uh, celebrating the elimination of slavery in the United States mm-hmm. and gaining increasing popularity is the song Lift Up Your Voice and Sing, uh, which is sometimes referred to as the African-American or the Black National Anthem. Uh, I believe that's Lift Every Voice and Sing. I, I'm sorry, you, you, you're absolutely right. I, I actually, I love the words to it. It's, it's very biblical. It sort of likens the, uh, the experience of American slavery to that of the uh, children of Israel uh, in the land of Egypt. So do- doesn't surprise me at all that there are, you know, there's sort of counter narratives here. And again, often by people who, if we can go back to the Moses analogy, are, are disappointed, you know, that they, they have as much investment in American ideals of equality and liber- liberty as others. They just don't think we're coming as close to fulfilling it. Let's talk about renditions of the national anthem. There was one that I didn't see in there that, uh, with Carl Lewis, uh, the great Olympic track star, trying to sing the national anthem at an NBA game. And he was not trying to be disrespectful, but he was a lousy singer and really screwed it up uh, to the point that the players were trying to stifle laughs. In fact, ESPN Sports Center anchor Charlie Steiner said that was our national anthem presented by Francis Scott Offkey. There was one woman who sang at a, at a basketball game and it was so sensual, I guess is the word, that some of them were saying they felt like they had to go outside and smoke a cigarette afterward. <laughs> <laughs> and... The, they needed course, a cold shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 the most 
notorious, of course, is the, the singing, the, the uh, Roseanne Barr. Yeah. And it's still not completely clear to me whether she fully intended to be as crude as she, in, you know, as she ended up being. She gives an explanation that she you know, didn't quite know how bad she would be and she got off key and just didn't know what to do with it <laughs> and so tried to make it into something funny. But, you know, as her later television career proved that, you know, she wasn't, the humor didn't always work for her in the same way. In, in a similar manner, you know, I think taking a knee is a little trickier maybe than burning the flag. But, you know, I've always told my students, you know, I have never seen an example of flag burning that I thought won anybody any friends. And I think the jury is still out on taking a knee. I have, by the way, you know, locally written an article saying that we have no constitutional right to prevent a student who decides to take a knee during this ceremony. I mean, uh, it would be what's known as state action if we tried to prevent it, and that's what the First Amendment prohibits. Well, why do people get nitpicky about uh, the renditions by soul singers and contemporary singers who don't just sing the notes straight, but yeah. rather lend their own cultural embellishments as part of their singing style to the anthem? That, that too, is part of America as we know it. Jose Feliciano you know, was one of the first uh, to, you know, try a, a, a different style. And a lot of people associated him, and I don't think he really was, but sort of, you know, he came across to many of them as a hippie. He was invited by the Smithsonian, you know, to do another performance. He donated the guitar that he used. And now we sort of say, I think we're a little bit freer about artistic expression. And of course, you know, that's, that's part of the American ideal too, isn't it? Is it any more or less irreverent than turning the national uh, flag into a bikini or a pair of jockey shorts? Absolutely. Time for another break. We'll be back. This is MTSU on the Record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about the national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, and America's national anthem is the title of a new encyclopedia with Dr. John Vile. He's the dean of the University Honors College and a political scientist. What did you learn in researching this book that you didn't know before? I'm not as adept at you are, as you are on musicians and artists uh, and the like. And one of the fun things about doing a book like this it's just seeing, you know, the art exhibits, the different variations in musical styles, that sort of thing. And I tried to compare it to some of the anthems 
you know, that Americans would be most familiar with, and particularly those in Canada and Mexico and, you know, Great Britain and, and provide a little bit of context there. But, you know, it's really amazing. Any of these symbols, you take them and it gives you, you know, it gives you a little sort of a cut or slice of America. And then you go to another symbol and you see it from just a little bit different direction. I've actually seen people commend the Star Spangled Banner for the fact that uh, it really does take a trained singer and we don't get as tired of it. You, you know, we're more likely to sing God Bless America than we are the national anthem. So when we hear it, it's maybe a little bit more distinctive than it otherwise would be. It's not, you know, particularly the first verse, there, there is a martial element to, to, to the song, but it's in contrast to some of the other war songs, it's not particularly bloodthirsty. I mean, it's, it, elevates patriotism without, you know, putting down the British. Other, again, you have a third verse there that does that, but that's the one we don't, we don't sing. And it doesn't, it doesn't get personal. The lyrics of the first verse strike me as being at least as much about survival as it, they are about war. This is the War of 1812, and the nation is very, very, very young, and the first verse, what it communicates to me is we still have a country that, you know, the colonies are now the states and we're still holding together, despite the fact that we're fighting this war on our own territory, our own right. new native land. It, it was a disappointing war in the sense that we didn't seem to get much of what we, you know, started out, including Canada. We didn't end up with that. But many people referred to it at the time as the second American revolution. You know, it's one thing to get temporarily free of Britain, but, you know, are you going to be able to retain your freedom? The reason it was probably chosen is it, it sort of distills this critical moment in American history uh, in a way that no other, you know, the other songs are more generic. Uh, this one takes us back to a specific time and place and you know, it, it was a glory. I mean, it was a glorious victory, and but it, it really was a great event. One reason maybe that the banner has succeeded over some of the other tunes is it's a way of combining two symbols together. The flag is probably more important to most people than the song itself, and the fact that it, it combines the two probably, you know, makes it more proportionally relevant than, than had, did it not. I'll tell you my favorite renditions. Okay. A lot of people are crazy about Whitney Houston's rendition. I think that Cher did it much better. She didn't miss a note. She started at a note that was low enough for her, but not one that would take her down into baritone range. Right. And when she got to the end, she sang the brave, the brave, the brave in a very... Mm uplifting way that even Paul Harvey commented that he liked it and Paul Harvey is no liberal uh, and my favorite instrumental version of it was done by Branford Marcellus and Bruce Hornsby at an NBA all-star game during Desert Storm and it was very subtle very mellow very non-egotistical very unbelligerent it was poignant right 
almost everything Marcellus does is, is just excellent. So now you ought to you ought to check out the, t the it's on YouTube the video of Carl Lewis mangling the national anthem and then Charlie Charlie Steiner and Jack Edwards the two ESPN Sports Center anchors laughing their asses off uncontrollably <laughs> and Charlie Steiner saying that was our national anthem by Francis Scott off key. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed that because it would have, you, you know, and, and again, I, I'm intended to give some grace in a case like that. Carl shouldn't have had the hubris to go before a crowd on national television and try to sing if he wasn't a trained singer. You ought to know, just because you can run fast doesn't mean you can sing well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to give him credit for his, you know, I, I'm sure he thought he was doing a patriotic deed there. And I think I'd give him, I, I think I cut him some slack, but I haven't actually heard it. So if it's, it's been a <laughs> suggestion, you know, you would think maybe you'd run it by your wife or somebody first to find out, yeah. <laughs> you know, am I good enough or not? <laughs> Just Google uh, Carl Lewis ESPN on YouTube and, and you'll find it. And Jack Edwards was laughing so hard he was hyperventilating. I thought he was, he sounded like an asthmatic or something. <laughs> well, that would be, <laughs> that would be embarrassing for sure. John Vile, the book is America's National Anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner in U.S. History, Culture, and Law. The latest book from the ever-prolific Dr. John Vile, Dean of the University Honors College. Thanks for being our guest today, John. It was a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. A renovated cafeteria tucked amid MTSU dormitories alongside the university's library is giving students a multifaceted venue to work with famous friends in the entertainment industry. Students working in the new Chris Young Cafe, named for and outfitted by the multi-platinum entertainer and former student, are already gaining hands-on experience in audio production, music business, songwriting, venue management, sound reinforcement, and lighting and rigging. John Merchant, chair of MTSU's Department of Recording Industry, is thrilled about their opportunities. This is great for his fans, great for the community, and to finally be able to share this space with the world, this world-class performing space that supports all of our students, our audio production, our music business, and our songwriting students. This will be a space that takes care of generations of students who will aspire to do great things just like Chris has done. 
it's an amazing gift. It's so generous for him to give his talent, his time, and maybe most notably his name to this space that's going to serve our students for an awfully long time in all that they pursue. So we are deeply humbled and grateful for Chris's investment, as well as the university community's support for the Department of Recording Industries. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.